This is Kim Davis. Welcome to another one-on-one podcast. And joining me today, I have Stephen Upstone, who's CEO and founder of Loop Me. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you, Kim. And like me, an English accent. So you're not based in New York, are you? No, I'm based uh, in London, but these days quite a lot in New York as well. We've seen a lot of growth over in. Uh, this marketplace, so uh, I'm here to support that. Okay. Now, uh, for our listeners, tell us, uh, in a nutshell, what LoopMe's profit is. So, LoopMe is one of the largest mobile video advertising platforms, and uh, the technology helps advertising agencies to to guide marketers towards uh, getting better, more effective brand experiences on mobile phones. Uh, so today, already 70% of what we do digitally is on mobile devices, and yet most other uh, technology platforms were developed for desktop and mm-hmm. haven't really managed to um, create uh, compelling uh, brand experiences on mobile. And what we're doing that's really different, apart from reaching a huge scale of different um, devices, Last year, we saw over 2 billion different devices on the platform, uh, including well over 200 million in, in North America. Uh, we, we are also storing our own data within our own DMP, right. and we build artificial intelligence on top of that data in order to optimize against advertiser goals. And they could be viewable, uh, completed views, if you like, of... of video advertising, yes. or they could be engagement or interaction with video ads, or uh, more, more, um, more recently, uh, for a number of big clients, we are actually driving um, brand measures like purchase intent, mm-hmm. yeah. or um, uh, footfall, or brand favorability. And so in that way, either LoopMe or one of our partners, could be someone like Nielsen, for example, is measuring the effectiveness of the advertising and our AI is learning in real time to actually optimise against that result in campaign. So it's not a sort of kind of post versus pre, this is where your advertising mm-hmm. was effective. It's a real-time learning engine that's actually understanding which consumers and which moments are actually converting into positive outcomes for the, the brand, depending on whether or not they want to track uh, yeah, purchase intent or adjustment to brand favorability or even in-store traffic or, or actual offline sales. Okay. I want to come back to this whole uh, topic of personalization, which is very important. But because the whole ad tech space is so complicated, I want to be sure I, I'm understanding where LoopMe sits. Okay. Um, you're, you're sitting, if I if understood you correctly, between the brands who are providing video content to you and the publishers or platforms, the mobile platforms, which are displaying it. So you're, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you, are you buying in inventory, executing media buys, and also uh, helping your advertisers understand where the videos best appear. Is that a good way to put it? That's a very good way to put it, yeah. So we, we sit on the, the buy side, working mm-hmm. with very large advertisers, and our technology then connects into um, even hundreds of thousands of different websites, mobile websites, and also apps. And every single day we receive between 25 to 30 
billion different opportunities to serve a video ad. And that video ad could be um, a, a full screen or a pre-roll video ad. It could be something which is a native video ad, looks a little bit yeah. more like what Facebook have, have been developing. Um, or it could be a, a rich media. Yes. And so in, in that respect, as well as having the technology to effectively distribute, if you like, advertising content and, and to do that in the most um, effective way from an advertiser's point of view, but also from a uh, customer experience point of view. Um, we also do a little bit of um, creative reworking uh, to, to, to take existing TV assets and make them good for mobile. I see. Yeah. That's a small part of the proposition. So that might just involve taking... Uh, um, a television ad and shooting it, for example, to be in portrait, so that it works for when the device is, is held in the natural way, or it could be to uh, put some other rich media assets around it. So we did some work with Honda, for example, where they wanted to dramatise the kind of engine behind one of their cars, and we actually made the phone shake as the video <laughs> shows the, the Honda. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, similarly with uh, Unilever, with some of their cleaning products, we've had sort of bubbles dispersing and shaking and then leading into video content. In fact, I think we've done bubbles also for alcohol brands. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're making me thirsty. A little, yes, a little, a little bit of that kind of customization, but we're not, um, um, you know, we're taking the assets from the creative agency. Understood. Uh, so one topic which I've spoken to a lot, of, I've spoken to a lot of people about over the last six months or so is this vexed question of uh, what counts as video views. And there's lots of different perspectives on this. There's been, I think, almost amount of controversy about whether it's important, whether completion is important, whether, in fact, most of the message gets over in the first few seconds anyway. I wonder if you have any perspective on that. Yeah, sure. I, I think... Um, so th this... This has certainly been a hot topic for digital in the last two years or so. Mm -hmm. um, but I started as many as 20-odd years ago working with big brands in television. And even within television, there's a lot of um, different amounts of uh, attention and uh, uh, different pricing that attaches to the first ad in the break versus the, the um, you know, break in the centre of content... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, last night was Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, a pretty good one, actually, as a as a fairly neutral English guy. <laughs> and clearly, the the kind of event of Super Bowl also creates a context that's valuable as well. So within digital, uh, this has been a really hot topic for the last couple of years now. As many audiences are moving directly to digital, you know, especially younger groups, they they're kind of giving up on linear TV, so they're still watching. TV-like experiences or video content, but they're watching on different devices. Um, so clearly the brands need to move there and, and, and be able to, to understand and trust the value that they create. Yeah. And there are a number of problems with that, um, and that is that a lot of uh, publishers or aggregators were, aggregators of publishers that is, were um, serving ads that weren't necessarily seen by um, the... the um, uh, by real people, uh, that's because they might have been displayed yeah. off the page, if you like, or um, there might have even been fraudulent activity. So I think one of the big battles of the last couple of years is to make sure that there is 
a clear understanding of what's being viewed and indeed even third parties to verify what is being bought. Yes. Um, so that's, I think, I think that kind of view, viewability, brand safety, if you like, has been critical within the last couple of years. I think it's still a very, very big issue, but I would be, start to say that that was probably the biggest issue last year. We're starting to see solutions that we can trust and rely upon. And now I think the big shift in the industry is to remember what the market is actually, what are we all actually here for? We're here to, uh, you know, bring about changes in consumer opinion um, that will make them feel more positive about brands, to make them value brands, to make them spend more money on brands right. and, and, um, and, to, and to, you know, to, to, to build long-term relationships between brands and consumers. And, and that, the ability to now start to track more against that, I think, you know, if I characterise the last few years as being very strongly viewability-based, yeah. now I think it's starting to be, well, for brand advertising, you know, the, the, the great thing about digital and especially mobile is that it's highly measurable, um, trackable back down to individuals. You know, how can we then see, well, how did that consumer change their mind? Did they, how did they act? Mm-hmm. And um, did they physically walk into a store? Um, and uh, you may not know if they bought in the store, but, you know, it would be a positive sign if your product was available in certain stores, if they, you'd shown them, spent a lot of money on advertising, that, you, that more of the people who saw the ads actually went into the stores. It'd be perhaps concerning if they hadn't. Mm-hmm. And um, so there is there is there is some good kind of um, qualitative work that we can get out of that, as well as quantitative on um, uh, you know brand affinity and does does do consumer group, groups trust your brand? Do they prefer it to other brands? Do they want? Are they are they considering purchasing it in the next thirty days? And I think the way that it's starting to move with people like uh, Nielsen Catalina Services, where they can actually track through their shopping panel, did someone actually buy the soap powder or mm. buy the buy the buy the products? And and that I think is um, certainly where we've been getting um, a lot of um, you know good engagement from clients uh, in Europe and the US and, and and even some brands in the Middle East and Asia and dotted around the world, but especially here in the US where we're not only reporting upon that and making it easier for clients to understand um, you know, what what metrics they're driving, because driving video views is all well and good, but actually what you want to drive is store visits or right. or, um, uh, or, or change of opinion. And we help it make it easy for marketers to understand that, and we actually use the AI to optimise against that. And um, that, that's that's uh, been a big part of our our um, success and growth story. So that's, that brings us neatly to the topic of AI. So I think you're saying that attribution, although it's always a challenge, you do have a good launch pad here just because of the, um, the readily available and trackable mobile data. Now, when it comes to putting a, an artificial intelligence layer over that, is the idea to extract insights which allow the next round of advertising or targeting or retargeting to be that much more effective? No, the main objective from the AI that we built is to optimise against a given advertiser goal. Uh-huh. So, uh, we each, each day I mentioned a number of ad requests we get. We also have third-party integrations to data providers. And all in all, every day we process over a trillion pieces of data. And that's just growing very, very, very fast. Right. 
And that's against a large number of different consumers we've mentioned. I think I think I mentioned before we've seen over 2 billion devices. And what we do is we create a kind of almost intelligent uh, brain, if you like, software, software brain that learns and reassesses every 10 minutes, updates all its assumption set and learns against a specific goal. And that goal could be, can you get me um, a viewable, um, uh, completed view of video with someone who I know is in my target audience, and that target audience could be verified by Nielsen or some other mm-hmm. third party. That that might be good enough for an advertiser goal. You know, if the advertiser is happy with that, then to make sure that people watch their video, I think you mentioned earlier, how long they need to watch again. That would be something to um, to look at through um, the advertiser's point of view. They might want just the full completed video. They might see a value for the first ten or fifteen seconds again. You you set that goal. And the machine will take all of that data and look at each individual impression in each user and work out which ones to choose and when to sue, serve your video ads. And there's a huge amount of choice out there. So that, that is um, very kind of goal-orientated um, technology. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's completely, as I say, updating all of its assumptions every 10 minutes. Um, if I think of some of us as humans, we uh, think of people in my family who haven't updated their assumption set maybe for <laughs> 20 or 30 years, yep. especially when you think about politics and, and other subjects. So to have a, a machine that does that can create a very measurable uplift. Right. And the way you measure the, the kind of value that's been created by the AI is you actually maintain a concurrent control group that is already within a restriction, so it's on a certain set of sites, it's within the target audience that you've defined, and it serves a, uh, a very neat, random view across those mm-hmm. those different people. And then it learns, by picking different moments and picking different, um, different consumers, then how can I improve upon that? And often you'll find that you can at least double the performance of the advertising if the goal, for example, is to uh, build trust with a consumer. Yeah question might be very simple do you trust x and x could be you know a government a retailer a, a brand it could be could be anything and um, your your goal is to increase the control versus exposed um, delta if you like due to the advertising and, and the great news is the advertising often works and it's very very trackable but by adding ai you might double the value of the advertising which is pretty interesting really if you think about all of the thinking and the strategy and the price of creating the content and distributing the content to think that within that last delivery piece if you like there could be such value creation in, in, in measurable value creation that's that's validated by third parties is is a, I think a very interesting topic so that's what the technology is built to do but having said that there's a lot of insights that are then kind of thrown out <laughs> from that so we as a company are tracking maybe up to 100 different variables, but they could be really strange things like your device screen size. They could be the number of times we've seen you in certain types of content. That could be then related to others. So do we just only ever see you in sports, or, or are you looking across several different types of content? Sure. They could be from publishers and apps. They might have location history. So are you regularly travelling through airports? Are you a business traveller, or are you a... Um, are you um, going regularly to shopping malls or high-end shopping malls? Or, and again, a machine 
doesn't necessarily have to have all of these things explained to it, yeah. but there is value by creating metadata around that. If you can say to them, these are all shots of a certain type, these are all sort of um, co- you know, collective data points, then you can also derive data points. And then at the end of the campaign, you can look through a different lens and say, well, okay, which geographies, which consumer groups, which, um, which, which factors really drove the greater engagement. So there is also an interesting kind of analytics product yes. that comes from the goal of, of, um, uh, of using AI to optimise, um, but its original purpose is almost more like, uh, um, you know, we store a lot of data in order for the AI brain to learn against it. And, you know, if you don't have data and many uh, technology platforms out there aren't using AI and aren't even storing data, if you don't have data and did have some kind of algorithm, it would have nothing to learn against. It would be like a child sure, who, sure. Yeah. Who, who had no, no books or no teacher or no content. So, context. So, um, uh, yeah, there, there, there are two aspects to it. One is the result and the other is, is some analytics as well. well the analytics, uh, the structure is very interesting, and I know, you know a number of vendors are doing this. They're able to derive metadata from specific use cases, which then can inform for their whole client base what is more effective, what works in, in future cases. Yes, I think this is, this is hugely interesting because this could start to affect your product strategy or, yes. your, or, your, or your creative strategy or um, uh, understanding which consumers and when and how they react positively is, is, is very important to clients. Okay, now running out of time as usual, always too fast because we could talk about this all day. <laughs> Just to conclude, can you give me a sense of uh, LoopMe's geographical presence, where your markets are, kinds of customers you're serving? Sure. We have offices now in over 10 geographies. I think we're up to about 12 and opening a few more. Our prime markets today are across Europe, is the EU top five markets and North America. We have also a pretty strong presence in South Africa, the Middle East and uh, France. We're serving some other markets from there as well. And we have offices in China and um, Singapore is opening in April, um, so it's it's quite global, yeah. um, but predominantly across uh, the US and Europe at the moment. Okay, well, some fascinating stuff happening in this space, and thanks for coming in and sharing that information with us, Stephen. Thanks very much, Kim. Good to meet you. And everyone, look out for the next one-on-one podcast.